The title of my message this morning is From Fragile to Fortified. And we're going to be looking at this Bible verse from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. And this is a, a spiritual father speaking to his spiritual son who is in somewhat of a, of a fragile state. And this is how the verse reads. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. Now, every year around this time, for the last several years, we've had our prophetic team come in and minister to us corporately and individually. I think about the blessings that they've left us, and it's hard to measure how much they've encouraged us and enriched us and really, you know, empowered us. Um, but they're really a picture of what prophetic ministry should be, how they build up the local church with revelation and counsel and insight, and it brings real joy in the house. And that's what the Word of the Lord does is it brings joy. So in the absence of them coming this year due to travel restrictions, I want to refresh us on the blessing of prophetic ministry and how it's needed more than ever as we wrestle through COVID and the riotings that we are seeing. In particular, I want to talk about how God uses prophetic ministry to move us from a fragile state to a fortified one. So Father, we look to you right now. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the comfort that's in your word. We thank you for the light that's in your word. And would you just shine upon us? Would you use me this morning, God? Would you anoint us as we're listening from all the places that we're tuning in from? For your glory's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. So just some context for us because we're living in a very tumultuous world. I think that we can safely say that the world is kind of falling apart. And I know that's kind of a dismal thing to say on Father's Day, but that is the world that we're living in, and it's, a, and it's true. You know, if God says He's going to shake the heavens and the earth, as He mentioned in Hebrews 12 and Habakkuk 2, does it not mean that there will be times in the middle of all that when the world is indeed crumbling around us? There's a new poll that came out in the States that 80% of Americans say that things are out of control. 80%. Another poll says that 50% of Americans are the unhappiest that they have been in 50 years. In Canada, there's 13% unemployment. And since COVID hit, 2 million extra jobs have been lost. There's 15% unemployment in the States. That equates to 35 million people that are out of, out of employment. Contrast that to the fact that the stock market is in fact doing its best that it has in history. So there's this complete disconnect between employment reality and market capitalization. While many are struggling, the rich get richer. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, his wealth grew by $35 billion. Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, his wealth grew by $25 billion. And in aggregate, U.S. billionaires grew their wealth by over $400 billion. The economic gap just keeps growing. This is really a grotesque situation. But this is just the view from Canada and from America. How about the view from Hong Kong, where China is imposing new security measures? How about the view from Africa, where locust swarms are breaking out in biblical proportions? How about the view from the Arctic Shelf, the Arctic Circle, where ice shelves are breaking apart? Or the view from England, 
where because of Brexit, the nation's been going through convulsions for the last two years. Or if you've been reading the headlines, North Korea just blew up their liaison office with South Korea, literally blew it up. The view from Israel where annexation is going on in the West Bank. Or how about the view of hundreds of millions that are currently experiencing poverty and starvation around the world? And then we have the view from the wet markets in China. Even the animals are being devastated. Is this not a picture of the world coming apart? We're in the midst of two global pandemics, a viral pandemic and a racial pandemic. I don't know whether to think of it as a pandemic inside a pandemic or as a pandemic that has come alongside another pandemic. Then if it's not bad enough, some of the prophetic brothers that I've been Zooming with and meeting with on a weekly basis, there's kind of a feeling that there's a third global blow that might still come. You think about that and you say, oh my, is it going to be around the U.S. elections? What if Joe Biden gets elected? What if President Trump gets elected? Will he contest the election? Will chaos break out? Who knows? You know, there's no doubt that what happens in America radiates out to the world. If a George Floyd incident happened in Portugal, riots would not have broken out across the globe. But when a George Floyd incident happens in America, protests break out in cities all across the nations. It's been said that when America sneezes, the world catches a cold. Not that we necessarily like the influence of U.S., but it is a reality. I mean, we should note, though, on the positive side, when the American economy is doing well, the world economy rises with it. If its military is strong, there is relative peace and stabilization. And if U.S. continues to pump out innovation, as we see in Silicon Valley, the world benefits. So in the midst of these pandemics, what is God's response? Despite the coronavirus situation improving and riots calming down, I think we can say that we've definitely experienced wear and tear. Mom and dads are stressed out by having the kids at home 24-7 and having to homeschool them. Domestic violence is up. Financial stress is up. Savings accounts are down. Businesses are struggling to come back. And some have already been devastated. People's mental health have been tested. The uncertainty of the future really takes a toll. So this feeling of being frazzled and still wrestling with the fears of what's going to, what is it going to look like when we go back to normal? What is the Lord's response to all of this? In the midst of our fragile state, he comes to move us to a fortified one. And this is the verse that we're focusing on. Paul is speaking to Timothy, his beloved disciple. Remember, Paul had many disciples, Silas, Titus, Priscilla, Aquila. But if it could be said, Timothy was his favorite disciple. Paul said that there was no one of kindred spirit with him like Timothy. When you're doing ministry, you need those who are of one heart and one mind, who will have your back, who you know will be loyal to you, who you know that you can depend on. Paul went through a lot of heartache in his personal ministry, people deserting him. He said, all in Asia have deserted me. It's a very painful feeling to have people who say they're with you and then they leave you. But Timothy was not like that. 
Timothy was loyal. And so Paul said that he had a kindred spirit that Paul could rely on. They had a father-son relationship in the work of God. Now, Paul had personally picked Timothy at the beginning of his second church planting tour. We know that Paul had three major tours. And on the second one, he saw Timothy in a meeting. And he was instantly drawn to Timothy by the Holy Spirit. And so he said, you need to come with me. You need to join my team. Now, Timothy, in some ways, was an unusual pick in that his mom was Jewish, but his father was Greek. So it was a multiracial marriage that Timothy came from. But in other ways, what a perfect way to exemplify the gospel that Paul was preaching. Even though Timothy was young, Paul could see the call of God in his life, that he was an apostle in the making. Timothy came from a rich spiritual background, having inherited the faith of his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. At a young age, he was well regarded by the brethren, even while he was a young man. And you know, it's not often that you have young people who distinguish themselves, who catch the eyes of the elders, who say, you know what, this kid has a really good spirit. This kid is really following the Lord. This kid has really found his way at an early age. And so Paul sensed all of that in Timothy and so invited him to be on his team. And therefore, Timothy saw all the trials and tribulations that Paul went through. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been discipled by Paul, to hear his amazing teaching, hear him preach the gospel. The very pages that we get to read, Timothy heard live in person as Paul was expounding and instructing the new followers in this gospel of Jesus Christ. And that to see the signs and wonders that Paul did, raising people from the dead. Paul was so full of revelation that he would teach all night. And the Bible says that there was a young man by the name of Eutychus who was sitting in a window and he started to fall asleep because he couldn't take all that revelation, falls out of the window and dies. So Paul goes, oh, wait a minute, I need to break away from the pulpit. Goes down, prays for Eutychus, raises him from the dead, and then continues on preaching. What a story, what a moment. And Timothy was there to see this all. That's my mentor. That's the guy that I'm part of, and he asked me to be on his team. Acts chapter 19 talks about extraordinary miracles that happened with Paul, such that even when handkerchiefs or aprons touched his body, people could take this and take it to people who were sick or even had evil spirits and they would be healed and they would be delivered. Timothy got to see Paul's spiritual strength and courage through the imprisonment at Philippi, through the revival in Berea, his apologetic skill in Athens, his faith for finances in Corinth. You know, would think, oh man, I want to that Paul would be just filled with finances and people would be donating to his ministry because he was so dynamic and so powerful, but that wasn't the case. There was a time in Paul's ministry where he didn't have enough finances. In fact, he had zero finances, and therefore he had to support himself, and he had to make tents. That's what we see happening in Corinth. So Timothy is taking this all in, receiving what his spiritual father is modeling. He sees that Paul was a cross-cultural warrior, you talk about someone that understood cultures and ethnicities and customs and racial sensitivities. Paul was a genius. He could teach a master class on race relations. Young Timothy also got to witness one of Paul's pinnacle moments 
when he planted, as in Paul planted the church in Ephesus during their third missionary tour. This was an assignment of huge proportions for Paul because Ephesus was the epicenter of idol worship in the Roman Empire. The worship of the goddess Artemis. The city had a huge temple that was built for her and the businesses and the guilds in the city made a ton of money selling related religious paraphernalia. So when Paul came into the city and people were getting saved, they started to forsake their Ephesian religion. And this threatened the economy of the city. And it resulted in a citywide riot. Long story short, as Paul and his team were were about to be torn apart, cooler heads prevailed. And the Bible says that the people chanted for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Finally, things settled down. Paul was going to move on. And to Timothy's utter surprise, Paul said to him, I want you to pastor this church now. So when Paul says here in verse 18, this command I entrust to you, what was this command that he was entrusting to him? It was that, Timothy, you are now going to pastor this church. I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. To do what? To teach the people properly, give them sound doctrine, avoid needless controversies, build the people up in love, and in the gospel. So young Timothy was now given an assignment of a lifetime. It would be like being asked by Rick Warren to take over Saddleback Church, except even more so. This was Ephesus, one of the key cities in the Roman Empire. And Timothy is saying to Paul, I can't do this. I'm too young. I can't fill your shoes. I'm too inexperienced. And we know that one of Timothy's biggest struggles was with fearfulness. That's why Paul wrote to him, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So we can understand why Timothy felt afraid and fragile. The assignment was huge. Yet Paul saw the Christ in Timothy, and he just needed Timothy to see that as well. So Paul moved to fortify his young disciple. And how did he do that? He pointed Timothy back to the prophecies spoken over his life. He said, Timothy, you think this assignment is big? And yes, it is big. You think this church is going to be tough? Yes, it is going to be tough. You think this church is going to be influential? And yes, it will be influential. But think of this command. Think of this assignment in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. Think about this. What a statement Paul is making. What insight he is giving to us with regard to the power and blessing of prophetic ministry. Timothy felt weak, but prophecy would make him strong. Timothy felt unstable, but prophecy would give him power. Timothy felt afraid, but the word of the Lord would give him courage. Timothy felt doubtful, but prophecy would fill him with proper thinking and soundness of mind. When Paul said, remind yourselves of these prophetic words that were spoken of you, He goes on to say that it will help you in three areas. Number one, it will help you fight the good fight. It will help you keep the faith. And it will help you maintain a good conscience. Isn't that what we need in this hour? We need fight. We need faith. 
We need a clean conscience, free from sin and guilt and shame. There's so much that's out there that can pull our faith down. There's so much out there that can entangle us. I just read an article in Globe and Mail. They interviewed, I think it was 18 different people. And they just said, describe your experience of the pandemic in one word. And these words were like overwhelmed, confused, disoriented, shut in, disconnected. And so when those things come upon us, on top of just the regular routine of life, it feels like we can be shrinking. It can feel like we're lacking the kind of nourishment that we need. We need our faith back. We need fight. And a lot of times as people are trying to swim out of the difficulties, they will use sin. They will use other kinds of dissipation to medicate themselves. One of the sad statistics I've heard is that the liquor sales have been going up during the pandemic. People are giving themselves to drinking. It kind of bothers me that the province has allowed all the BC liquor stores to be open with extended hours. But those things then begin to weigh us down. Paul says that when you review the prophetic words that God has given to you, it will bring that life back to you. This is Paul's definition of what it means to be fortified. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's a story about a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. And he was a man who had no fight in him. He was one of the great kings of Judah, and he was facing a great military crisis in that Moab, Ammon, and Syria had arrayed themselves to make war against the king. Jehoshaphat did not know what to do, and he was afraid. So he called for a national prayer meeting, and the nation gathered at Jerusalem. And during this meeting, Jehoshaphat confessed his feelings of fear and helplessness. And this is what he told the Lord. For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming up against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. At that moment, Jehoshaphat was not the strong, courageous leader he wanted to be. He felt overwhelmed and fragile. But as a nation sought the Lord together, something very powerful happened. The prophetic word came to a prophet called Jehaziel. And so this is what the scripture says. In the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord, your salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. So, In the midst of this place where they're fearful and they're not sure what's going to happen to the nation, the prophetic word comes through Jehaziel. And on the strength of that word, Jehoshaphat knew exactly what to do. So we read on. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army. 
and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, so they were routed. Does this scene remind you of something? Does it not remind you of when Joshua sent out the, the worship team ahead of the military at Jericho? And this is exactly what Jehoshaphat did. And they experienced a fantastic victory. It's an incredible testimony of God's power and love. And how did this come about? It all hinged on one man being fortified by the prophetic word. Literally, one moment he has no fight. He's in fear. And then in the next moment, once the word of the Lord comes, the fight comes back to him. He had no fight. Now he had all the fight he needed. I hope that you have personally experienced the feeling of going into your prayer closet. Maybe you've been distraught. Maybe you've been discouraged. Or you're wrestling over something. Or you're confused. And as you're praying or as you're reading the word, the Holy Spirit quickens something to you. And then bang, it changes your mood. It changes your perspective. It changes how you see things. That's the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And this is what happened with King Jehoshaphat. When the world came, his world flipped around because God changed his inner understanding of what was going on. In Romans chapter 4, we have an example of Abraham and how he kept the faith. The verse says there, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should be a father of many nations. As he had been told, so your descendants shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, Sarah was his wife. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Abraham's an old man. Biologically, he cannot have children. Biologically, his wife cannot have children. But God says you're going to be a father of many nations. So, of course, logic says, how will this happen? This is an impossibility. We are infertile. And yet the Bible says here that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. When God says something, he is true to his word. The Bible says that God does not lie. The Bible says that God is like light, and when he speaks, it's true, and it will come to pass. So what did Abraham do to keep his faith? He reviewed the previous prophecies that were spoken over his life. The very first word that God spoke to him was back in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was 75 years old at the time. And the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Leave your homeland. I'm going to send you to a place. And in that place, I'm going to raise you up to be the father of the Jewish people. This was the beginning of the Jewish people. He is the father of that nation. It says, I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great so you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. So Abraham went. He obeyed the prophetic word as the Lord had told him. And he was 75 years when he departed from Haran. So Abraham is thinking, all right, 
I'm 75 years old. I still got some juice. Electricity is still on. I can still have kids. This is going to work out. It's great. Maybe in three, four years, my son's going to come forth. Then we read what happens in Genesis 15 because nothing is happening. And Abraham is now a little bit stressed. He's a little bit worried that is this word going to happen or not? So then Abraham has this encounter with God in Genesis 15. After, the, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer. Abraham said, Behold, thou hast given me no offspring, and a slave that's born in my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. A second prophetic word. And God began to fortify him because Abraham was feeling so old and fragile. And God says, this man shall not be your heir. Your own son will be your heir. And God took Abraham outside and looked towards the heaven. He said, number the stars if you're able to number them. Then God said to Abraham, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, this is the, the, one of the greatest doctrines in the Bible in terms of how we receive righteousness from God. We don't have time to go into that. But just think now, Abraham's in this place. He's already in a down state, and he believes this word that's coming to him, that despite his ongoing age, he is still going to have a son. So now we fast forward, and Abraham is 99 years old. We're talking 25 years later. Would you hang on to a prophetic word for 25 years, especially at the age of 99? This is what it says in Genesis 17. This is the third word that he gets. And this is what God says. Not only are you going to be a father of one nation, you're going to be a father of many nations. So now God actually doubles down on the word. And it goes from impossible to incredibly impossible. But the scripture says that when Abraham was 99, the Lord appeared to him. said, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I'll make my covenant between me and you. And you will multiply exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face. God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. God added the plural. No longer shall your name be Abraham, Abram, but you shall be Abraham. So how did Abraham keep faith despite the odds and his inert condition? He reviewed his presbyteries. He reviewed the prophecies that were given to him. It stirred his faith. He would go back to his journal, the things that he had written down, said, oh, God said this to me when I was 75 years old. God said this to me. When I was 85 years old, God's saying it to me again when I'm 99 years old. Those prophetic words kept him strong and continually put him in God's mindset and not his own. This is the wonders of prophecy that's spoken over us. It carries God's DNA and heart and life. And we go from fragile to fortified. Then we have this sort of hidden gem of a story regarding David and Nabal, and Abigail. Abigail was Nabal's wife. This is a story that comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 25. 
At the beginning of this chapter, we find out that King Saul has died. So David is going to be the king very soon. The transition to him is on. But David and his men are still in the wilderness, a ragtag bunch, without any money or provisions. And there are about 600 of them. So David, hearing of this wealthy man by the name of Nabal, with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, sends some of his men to see if he could spare a few sheep so that they could have a festive day, because David's going to be king. David's thinking this should be no problem, since this guy has so much livestock, and that he and his men have protected Nabal and his flocks from attacks. So this would just be a small favor to ask. But instead, Nabal was a greedy and harsh, and the Bible says a worthless man. And he rejects David's request and won't give David's band any food. When David hears this, he's livid. He tells his guys to mount up because they're going to go and attack and kill Nabal. Now, while David's team is en route to raiding Nabal's camp, Nabal's wife, Abigail, sees nothing but trouble is coming. So she intervenes, and as David is riding to the camp, she prepares a peace offering of 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five marinated sheep, five bags of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. In other words, Abigail prepared what her husband should have prepared. But it wasn't the gift that was pivotal in the story. It was the word that she gave David when he came into the camp. And this is what we read her saying to David. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Because you will fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. When the Lord has fulfilled my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. That verse right there, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. What did Abigail do for David? She brought a word to him that would keep his conscience clean. I mean, this is a message in and of itself, how God wants us to live with a clean conscience. He doesn't want us to live with sin hanging over our head and guilt and shame. He wants to bring us into freedom. And there is such joy and there is such a sense of liberty when we don't have sin, sin hanging on our lives and our conscience being affected. So she sees that David is coming. He's going to be the next king, but he's about to do something that will stain his potential legacy. So she reminds David of his destiny, of the word that Samuel the prophet gave to him when he was just a young boy, when he was in his teens. And the Bible says he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and that he would be the ruler of Israel one day. So Abigail's word prevented David from falling into a stricken conscience and thus allowed him, just as he was about to enter into his kingship, to do so with joy and not regret. God is so good to keep us on track and to make sure that we don't go sideways in our callings. So in each of these cases, King Jehoshaphat, Abraham, and David, we see how pivotal the prophetic word was to help them fight the good fight 
to keep the faith and a good conscience. God comes to comfort, to help, to lift us up. God is a prophetic shepherd. The word of the Lord is life. Remember what Simon Peter and how he responded to Jesus? Jesus was seeing all the multitudes leaving, and he said to Peter, do you also want to go? Simon Peter says, you are the one that has the words of eternal life. And Jesus said in John chapter 6, 6 or 663, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. The word of the Lord brings that heavenly life, sheds his, abroad, sheds his love abroad in our hearts. And this is why we place an emphasis on being a prophetic church and embedding it in our culture. This is why we teach how to hear God and to be messengers so that we can encourage one another. This is why we teach the gifts of the Holy Spirit and prophecy and word of knowledge and wisdom because they give us life and move us out of our fragile state. We're living in a double pandemic season. The world is falling apart, but the word of the Lord comes and gives us strength. I'd like for our keyboardist to come on up. I want to share a few thoughts as, as we close here. This past week, I had a couple interesting things happen to me. I was um, on the web just surfing some worship material, and I came upon a worship leader that I had never seen before. And turns out this worship leader was uh, the main worship leader of one of the biggest churches in North America, I won't tell you. And uh, so I clicked onto this video and beautiful voice. He's in this, basically the stadium, you know, singing before tens of thousands of people. And this was a special video because his wife was also on stage leading worship with him. So they have these beautiful voices, you know, this really, really neat moment where husband and wife were up there. And I'm watching this, this video and I'm thinking, oh, there is something wrong with their marriage. And I thought, why would I be seeing this? I'm just here to listen to some music. These guys are leading worship before thousands. I thought, I don't, I don't, uh, maybe I'm not hearing from the Lord, but it just came to me so clearly. So I just moved on from that, and I began to research him a little bit more, found that this worship leader had this blog. And as I'm reading his blog, in it he says, please be praying for me and my wife because we're going through a lot of troubles in our marriage. I go, Lord. Now, why would God show me that? Why would God show it to me just as I'm viewing a video? Just because God wants to fellowship with me and to help me know that I'm hearing from Him. We have a relationship in which we can hear from God and then the things that He says to us, we get to share with other people to help them. Some of you know our worship leaders from several years back, Monday in Praise, who came here from Taiwan, they were with us for 15 months and really helped establish some of the foundations of the worship ministry here. And recently they had a little girl named Brooke. And of course, like every parent, they're filling their Instagram feed with pictures of this, their cute little daughter. So I was scrolling through and I was, I was looking at these amazing little pictures. And as I'm looking at it, the Lord gives me a prophecy for this little baby girl. So I go, all right, Lord. So I just write in the little feed, here's a word for your daughter. 
prophesied to them right there in the Instagram thread. You know, prophecy is meant to be natural. It's meant to be in the flow of, of how we live every day. God wants us to encourage one another in season and out. Let's be verbal with one another. Prophecy is a verbal ministry. And I think this is an area that we can improve as Canadians because we're not verbal enough. We need to encourage and reinforce and affirm each other. And if prophetically, all the better. As Canadians, we tend to be too quiet and too reserved and too passive. What if Timothy had not had prophetic ministry in his life? What if someone failed to speak up? Paul would not have been able to point Timothy back to an awesome word that he received. So I encourage you this week, number one, to review your presbyteries from days past like Timothy did. So that you can be stirred afresh, receive the life that's been baked into them, get fortified by them because God is for you. He is for you. He is for you. As that powerful song, The Blessing, speaks to us. And then if you get a word for someone, go and share it. Because there's a Timothy inside all of us. We all want to be strong, but there's a Timothy inside all of us. And we need to be buoyed up. We need the, the, the Father, the Spirit of the Father to come to us and to say, no, you can do this. You got this. That's what Paul did for his spiritual son. He said, think of the things that God spoke to you in days past because by them you're going to fight the good fight, keep the faith, and maintain a good conscience. So Father, we just wait on you right now. We thank you, God, for the things that you have spoken to us in days past. And we don't want those words to fall to the ground. We don't want those words, God, to be forgotten. But we want to return to them. We want to review them as we saw Abraham did, as we saw in, in the life of King Jehoshaphat, as we saw how David received the word of the Lord and how it caused them to begin to flourish and to come out of their state of being afraid and fragile. The Bible says that Jesus is like the pearl of great price. We sell everything, and then when we receive it, there's great joy. Some of you, as you go back to your words, you're going to experience that, that joy once again, the, the things that God spoke over you. And there's going to be new insight and new revelation that will come to you even as you wait over your word. God is going to expand it and enlarge it and give you more understanding. Father, we thank you this morning that you're the God who speaks. We thank you, God, that you're a God that speaks to us directly and that we can receive manna in the secret place. And I pray that you would fill us, God, that our ears would not just be filled with news reports and, and things that we're listening to here and there that don't necessarily build us up, but that your spirit would continue to speak deeply to us. We thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that more than ever in the coming days, your people would hear 
and obey and speak. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.